Welcome to another edition of I'm Interested. I am Mike Greenberg, and I have been waiting all season long for this. Every Monday through this football season, Rex Ryan has been an in-studio guest on our show, Mornings on ESPN, Get Up. He is one of the most interesting people in and around the football world. He was the coach for many years of my favorite pro football team, the New York Jets. He has lived a football life that is somewhat different, I think, than almost anyone else's ever, and he is one of the... Um, the, the pair of the most handsome football twins ever to be born into the National Football League, Rex Ryan. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Greeny. <laughs> it is, it is great to, of you to do this and thank you. And, um, we're having this conversation here on a Monday after another very interesting NFL Sunday. And we'll get into some of the specifics of what's going on in the league right now coming up. But I want to start with this. You were 23 years old in 1985. What are your recollections? Of the 85 Bears. Oh, my gosh. I mean, clearly, you know, it, it, it's – to me, it was uh, the greatest defense in the history of the game, but really the best team, I think, also uh, in, in NFL history. Everybody will point to the one loss and, you know, like Miami killed them. That, that's not true. Go back and look at those stats. They gave up 303 yards, I think. Really? That's it. Mm-hmm. So – they were wanting to play the Dolphins so bad in that Super Bowl because they were gonna they were gonna tear them a you know what. So I think that was what I remember. It was great. We used to always, you know, we'd be, you know, we'd have our little drink on and all that kind of stuff, watching all those games, and and uh, then we'd be cranking tunes and you know all that stuff. Uh, another one bites the dust. We'd play it after every game, and and then I remember when they they got beat on a Monday night. Uh, that the neighbors downstairs played another one bites the dust. I went down there and, and, uh, somebody got dusted and it wasn't me. <laughs> I should have. Bad loser, man. I should have prefaced the question by saying your dad, buddy, was the legendarily the defensive coordinator on that team and they carried him off the field as they did Ditka. And then, of course, the following year, he was the head coach of the Eagles. I remember that team so vividly because I was a freshman in college at Northwestern University in the Chicago area in the fall of 85. And that was before there was direct TV and before there were, you know, before you could go to a sports bar even and watch games anywhere you wanted. So you watched whatever was on. So I watched every game that year and I have long maintained in a one year time frame. That's the best team in NFL history. You just said it. I would pick that team to beat any other team for one year. They didn't they didn't have the prolonged success. You can't compare them to the Steelers and the right. 49ers and the Packers and all of that. But for one year I thought it was the best football team I ever saw. Absolutely. I, I would totally agree with that. You got Walter Payton as your running back, Jim McMahon, who was very competent quarterback, Willie Gold. Yeah, Jimbo Covert should be a Hall of Hall of Fame tackle. I mean they, they were they were absolutely loaded. But you know what? I thought it was just the um, uh, they have everything else also. Like every team, everybody wanted to watch the Bears. And to me, look, they 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 do the Super Bowl shuffle. They record that thing. By the way, that's a real deal that they did after they got beat by the Miami Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Like that's just how you talk about swag and all that. Oh my God! And and let's face it, Greeny, all these new rules in the league right now. Yeah, protecting the quarterback. All these type of hits. Yeah, the, all they want to do is like they'll never want to see a Chicago Bear type style of, of defense ever played again. And they knocked out 10 straight quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks, uh, never finished the game against them. 10 straight. So that was the most dominant 
uh, defensive team and most dominant team I've ever seen, certainly. I, I have said, somewhat jokingly, that I think that team could have punted on first down all year and gone 8-8. Eight and eight. I really do. I think oh, they, yeah. they could have played yeah. no offense and won half their game. That's a good point. I'll never forget, you know, being a student, I use that term loosely, uh, at Oklahoma <laughs> and then, and, uh, and going down and watching, you know, they played at Dallas. And let's see, Cowboys zero, defense 14. Yeah, you know, it was. was it. It was, it was like crazy. I know there yeah. are a lot of people listening who are not old enough to remember that team. I- I'm right. telling you right now, that was the best football team ever assembled. The defense was ridiculous. And as you said, when McMahon was healthy, and he wasn't even, he missed quite a few games right. that year. When McMahon was healthy, they had an explosive offense. They had good receivers. Galt was a burner. They had Dennis McKinnon. They had, Obviously, they had Walter Payton, who was p- perhaps on the tail end of his prime, but still yeah. phenomenal. So that that was – it was the best football team ever. Yeah, no, I, I don't uh... – I totally agree with you. And let's face it, the game they did lose, by the way, McMahon wasn't in there. Right. Okay. He was out partying, you know, the time before he knew he wasn't going to play, and then they put him in the game. But that's another story. But they were clearly, <laughs> you know, and it's it's not even close. But I wish people would have would have seen that defense. And, you know, hey, I was part of a great defense. 2,000 Ravens. Mm-hmm. Everybody talks about greatest ever. No, we broke records, least amount of points ever given up. Okay, we we get that in a season, and when you put the playoffs in there and all that, um, you know, it, it'd be about eight points a game or something when you include the playoffs. So it was a phenomenal defense. But you know what? People actually thought that they could do something against us. Well, here, here's what happened. The difference with the 85 Bears, they were scared to death. Nobody wanted to play against them. They knew. They're like, oh, my God, let's just get through this game. Uh, Dennis Thurman told me he was the third string quarterback. So he is starting safety for Dallas, but he was the emergency quarterback. They came to him, you know, uh, during the game. They're like, listen, Dennis, you may have to go in there and all that. He goes, hey, listen, I'm not doing anything. I'm not even handing the ball off. I'm taking a knee. So if you put me in, I'm taking a knee. <laughs> That's what he said. They were epic. And so I was going to ask you about the 2000 Ravens because you yeah. were on that staff. And, and that is the defense that – when we talk about the great ones, we always, it feels like that's the progression. 85 Bears, 2,000 Ravens. Right. How were they different? Uh, well, we never knocked, you know, we weren't knocking quarterbacks out like that. And, and, uh, we weren't blitzing like where my dad would blitz every snap. Like you, you talk about some of these guys, oh, they blitz a bunch. No, 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 no. Th- this guy, uh, my dad would just totally, you know, just his whole goal was to knock the quarterback out. And he blitzed you from the first play to the last play and never cared if they were up 40 points on you. That's how he did, and that's how his team was built. Look, that team never had a college corner on it. They had safeties. Mm-hmm. So they're like, we don't care. We just knocked the hell out of the guy line of scrimmage. you got to cover him for two seconds. <laughs> that was the truth. That was it. The team that I was with blitzed very rarely. But we were so technically sound, fundamentals. We had some dominant players um, up front in the running game. And we're the best player in the world in Ray Lewis. So that was it. But when you look at them, we were an excellent defensive team. And, you know, it was led by that, that front four and all that stuff that, that did a good job, but it wasn't anything as near as intimidating as that bear defense. Was. Now, if I'm remembering this right, uh, Brian Billick is the head coach of that right. team. You guys win the Super Bowl. Marvin Lewis was the defensive coordinator. Right. Yes. And what were you coaching? I was the D-line coach. So you were coaching. That would be Siragusa and those guys. I had Siragusa. I, and the funny thing is, when I went there, Greeny, they told me these guys were done. 
Okay, we're gonna have to, you know, build and all that. And I was like, no, they're not done. They had they were doing some crazy things. Saragusa is a natural left-handed guy. First thing I did, I made him right defensive tackle, so he could play with his left hand down. Just little things like that. We we did fundamentally, and I had two two ends that were just relentless. Rob Burnett and there was a New York a New York guy, by the way, mm-hmm. and then uh, and Michael McCrary. They were undersized guys, but man, they had they had so much heart. It was unbelievable. But we just said, all right, hey, you know what? These guys are a hell of a lot better than you think. And the more we played, look, we we broke the all time record, least amount of rushing yards given up uh, in a season, least amount of rushing yards per average, and and that's really attributed to that group right there. Yes, we had Ray Lewis behind, but guess what? You couldn't get to Ray Lewis, so it, it was just a, it was a scary. You know, situation. You know, with with uh, the players that I had, we, it was just such a, a a great team defense. And when you look at the coaching staff we had, we had Jack Del Rio was a linebacker coach. You know, pretty good one. Mm-hmm. You know, later Mike Singletary, later you know uh, uh, Nolan comes on board. This is many years later, but all these head coaches were because of Ray Lewis, by the way, mm-hmm. and myself included. But we really did have a hell of a uh, coaching staff then, and. You know, it's funny because Brian Billick was a great offensive mind. You know, the, 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 you talk about, oh, look at the genius of Brian Billick when he was the offensive coordinator with the Vikings. But what Brian did, his best thing he, he did was put together one hell of a coaching staff. And I think that was something that he doesn't get enough credit for. And recognize and putting his ego aside and say, I may be an offensive guy, but the best chance we have to win is not to turn the ball over on offense and let our defense win it. And a lot of guys, I think, in the league would be leading with their ego and saying, no, 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 I'm going I'm going to find ways to win based upon my strength and, and instead of doing what he did, which was the right thing to do, which was, all right, we've got a great defense, let's just not let the offense screw it up. No, that was it. And, and there were times in games, look, we went five straight games, five straight games without scoring an offensive touchdown. Oh, by the way, that was the year we won the Super Bowl. Yeah. That's how dominant that defense Legendary was. Legendary story. So yep. the, those are some great defenses. And then here's, of all the things I give you the most credit for, the first is this. And that is you then took over the New York Jets as a head coach. And, of course, I, I watch every snap of every game. Right. So I know that team as well as you can know a team if you're just a fan. And you took that you took over that team. And in your first year, they were number one across the board in defense. Right. Number one with the, basically the same players that had been there before you became the coach. So I've always wondered this. How do you do that? How does a coach come in? You can joke around, whether it's self, uh, you know, modestly or whatever it is and say, well, great players. Well, they were the same players. They weren't the number one defense in the sport when you weren't the coach. You right. came in, they became the number one defense. How does that happen? Well, Greeny, first off, they were 23rd in the league in defense and, and we did take them to number one. Um, six starters or, you know, six guys left the defense from the year before, but we replaced them. I replaced a guy. On all three levels. So I brought in a defensive lineman. Now, this isn't a household name. Marquise Douglas, okay, mm-hmm. played in the, the league a long time, was a college free agent, but played over 10 years in the league. Um, a, a guy named Bart Scott. Oh, by the way, hell of a football player, yeah. great football player. And so we spent a lot of money on to get Bart Scott. Um, but he, another guy that happened to be a college free agent. It's amazing how this happens. And then we bring in a guy named Jim Leonard who could, who's five foot nothing. Okay, is a safety, but and and another college free agent. That wasn't by you know happenstance. I brought him in. Why? Because I wanted this, wanted my team to see the work ethic of guys that weren't even drafted, weren't even thought of. They weren't even good enough to be drafted. 
And yet, you know what? Look, watch these guys play. All three of those guys were great in preparation because I know know that's important. When you're coming in trying to to put in, uh, you know, a new defense and all that, these guys are believers. Why they've been successful in it, and all three of them had phenomenal work ethics. So that's what we brought in to the Jets. Did we flip it overnight? Absolutely. It was all based on one player, and that player was Darrell Rivas. I had a special player in Darrell Rivas. So everything I did was focused on that individual. And so I'm like, okay, he's going to take away their best receiver. I don't care who the hell that receiver is. So that's what I did. And I rolled my coverage. When when we played zone, we actually rolled our coverage to the second best receiver. Why? I locked down Rivas on the other side. And so that's how good Darrell uh, Rivas was. That's how much he meant to me in, in that kind of system, and we flipped it overnight. I have said many times that I thought Darrell Rivas was the most valuable player in the league at, at the time that he was playing. And they have um, attached the word, the name shutdown corner to a lot of people since him. And I keep saying, you don't know what a shutdown corner is if you're comparing this guy to Revis. You know, Revis would hold the best receivers in the sport, Chad Johnson, Calvin Johnson, you name it, Terrell Owens, two catches, 19 yards. I mean, those right. would be their stats in games against Revis, but playing them all by himself, he was that good. The fact that he wasn't even named Defensive Player of the Year that year, with no disrespect at all to our Charles Woodson, who was also right. a great player and won that award, is ludicrous. Revis was that good. He was that good. And, and by the way, Greeny, we were 40 or 50 yards better than the Green Bay Packers who finished second in the league that year. That's the separation between that Jet defense and the other ones. So we had a great defense, and he was the best player on that defense. And for me, the way we used him, he certainly should have been the defensive player of the year. And I and I said it. I, I remember we gave up, or, or the Packers gave up as many touchdown passes to the Arizona Cardinals in one game. It happened to be a playoff game. Then we gave up all season mm. as a team. So who the hell should have gotten the defensive player of the year? Yeah, guess what? It should have been Darrell Reeves. And that, again, taking my own fandom out of the equation, is what led me to the following statement. I believe the most valuable thing to have on defense, if you can get one, is a corner that you can put one-on-one with the other team's top receiver. Because they all this talk about a pass rusher. I get pass rushers. I get Khalil Mack is a great player and a difference maker. But if you have that, if you have Revis, and I think a guy like Patrick Peterson is pretty close to that, um, and, and some of the others, the best in the sport. If you have that, I think that actually frees up your defense to do more things than anything else. The other team can game plan around a pass rusher. You can't game plan around a guy who is just flat going to take your number one receiver away from you. That's if you know what you're doing defensively. Meaning? And meaning that I, I watch all these teams in the league right now. It's a joke. How many, you can count on one hand how many guys would take advantage of a corner like that. And so it's like this. How, how so? Explain that to me. Well, in other words, you you got to be creative in, in what you do with a great player like that, a great corner. If not, they're just going to, hey, look, he's over there, no big deal. Who's on the other side? All, all this kind of stuff. But – Teams will play. I'm going to play cover three. That's what we do. We're going to play cover two. That's what we do. All these different coverages. No, you got to be multiple in what you do when you have a special talent, or he's going to be a really good player, but he's not going to be a difference maker. Well, here's what I really want to dive into. So let me explain to everyone why I wanted so badly to do this this podcast. I'm interested with Rex because here's what I'm interested in. 
So you are remembered more than anything else for your bravado because you were this huge, larger-than-life personality. And understandably so, that is memorable. But what I've always said is Rex is a defensive genius. You were like a, an X's and O's genius, like a like a savant. And and in the same way that whoever the – like Bill Walsh, whoever you want to put out there is an offensive genius. So explain that part of it to me. You once were doing a post-game press conference as the coach of the Jets. And someone asked you a very specific question about something you were doing defensively. And you said, okay, this one is just for the advanced class now. Right. Okay. So let's do a little advanced class stuff. You've got Patrick Peterson. I'm just making this name up. Right. What should you be doing with him? If, if you're a team that normally plays the Tampa 2, you're saying scrap that, throw that away, and do what? Well, Greeny, first off, I would look at, at every opponent we played as game plan specific. So it wasn't that, hey, we're just a Tampa 2 defense or – we're a cover three defense or whatever it is. Everything is based on the opponent you're playing. So, for instance, let's say you're playing, uh, you're playing the Giants. 100% of the time, let, let's just say that I don't have a Darrell Rivas. Okay. 100% of the time, I'm going to roll my coverage to him. 100% of the to time. To Odell. To Odell. And here's the difference. If he's lined up outside, I'm going to play cover two. In other words, I want, I want, to get my corner, his hands on Odell Beckham. So I'm going to attack you at the line of scrimmage and always have help on top. Okay, that's how I'm going to play him. Mm-hmm. Guess what? If he's inside, if I play cover two, then he's got free free uh, access. Well, we don't want that. He'll destroy you. So what would I do now? I'd play quarters. So this is how simple the, the game is that I make it to my team. Explain that to our audience. Okay. Quarters and means. quarters now means I'm going to beat the hell out of the number two receiver, all right, and he's going to take the quarter flat. So his main job is to disrupt the timing of that guy. Don't let him off the line of scrimmage without bloodying his nose. The number two That's receiver what you do. is yes. on the line of scrimmage, and he is hitting him right out right the, the line. snap. I don't care if he's off the ball, on the line, or whatever. I'm going to hit the number two receiver, okay? That's when I play quarters, okay? And – Basically, what that means, you got a corner that can be deep and safety deep, but I'm beating the heck out of your your primary guy. So no matter where he is, I'm going to roll my coverage to that player. I'm going to get my hands on that player. I look at Tyreek Hill, the cheetah. Mm-hmm. All right, nobody, nobody is laying a hand on this guy. Why? Andy Reid's so smart. He sees your coverage, and he adjusts. Okay. Hey. Oh. They're they're rolling to cover two. He's on the outside. They're playing cover two. Okay, I'm going to put him in the two position. I'm going to put him in the three position. Okay, now you can't touch him because the cover two. Play cover two all you want. I've got free access with Ivory Kill. That's what's happening. And you know how do they do it? Not not necessarily by alignment, but they'll motion. It's okay. Every defense I played, it wouldn't matter what you did. And that was the difference between. How I would, and I'm just giving you a zone example. Yeah. Okay. Um, but that's kind of it. That, and that's what's missing in this league. Um, remember, I have, it, when you're looking at the chessboard, I would have the black pieces on the chessboard. I get to move last. You move first. Mm-hmm. As soon as you move, I'm going to checkmate you because I get to move last. I'm always going to put my team in the best situation, you know, to be successful. Look, man, we, we, we were with the Jets. We can say what we want. My last year there, we never had an NFL corner on the field. And that's a true statement. I think we ended up sixth in the league, a little little uh, below where we normally were. But how the hell do you do that? I remember we're playing Peyton Manning, okay, who broke the record that year. And I'm like, well, Peyton's going to kill us. 
He's absolutely going to kill us. We we can't cover him. We don't win a single matchup against Peyton Manning and the Broncos. Not one. Mm-hmm. So you go in there, and I'm like, well, i got to do something he's never seen. I'm going to make him run the football. Now, did they beat us running the football? Yes, they did. You know, all that stuff. But I wasn't going to just take a, a, a butt kick and sitting down. So how'd you do it? I walked out my outside linebackers on the number one receivers. I presented a five-man box and made him run the football. Why? Because I beat the hell out of his number one guys, and I play other zones off of it. But it was the only chance we had. So what did Peyton do? Peyton had to check to a run. At first, he'd throw into it, and then he had to check to a run. You know, and But he'll and do that, just, right? Like a, a oh, lesser was, quarterback might not do it. Yeah, he was brilliant. Him and Brady are the two two guys that prepared better than any quarterback by far, head and shoulders. But you better do something different against them or they are going to light you up like a Christmas tree. All right, so let's talk about that chess match. So now it's Rex Ryan against Peyton Manning. I, I, I did this podcast on the offensive side a few weeks ago with Matt Hasselbeck, and he said to me, I'm game planning all week. My opponent is the defensive coordinator. Right. So when you're a, when you're a coach, when you're a defensive coach and you're game planning, is your opponent the quarterback? Is that who you uh, is that who you can you view as your opponent? No, it's it's a whole offense. So I'll look at their scheme first. Okay. Uh, obviously, I'm going to know their personnel and things. I am going to know the quarterback. Is a quarter? Is he a smart guy? If he's a smart guy, I'm going to use it against him. Is he? How is are you using? He, let me stop you there. How okay. are you using his being smart? Ryan against Fitzpatrick. Will we say he's a smart guy? He's yeah. got a Harvard education mm-hmm. and all that. And he's a smart player. Ryan Fitzpatrick would average getting rid of the football in 2.2 seconds. Okay. So in other words, he's throwing the thing quick. What I would do is lay traps out there. I wouldn't do it early. I'd let him get comfortable, and then I'd lay him uh, when I wanted to in the weeds. Look back statistically. Does it bear it out? How many times we'd have pick sixes against him? He'd throw picks. He'd do all that type of stuff. Why? Because I'd get him to throw in the loaded zones. And But I would use the fact that this is a smart guy. He's going to get the ball out quick. Doesn't want to get hit. Doesn't want to get sacked. Maybe present a, a pressure to him, even though it's not a pressure, and, and let him throw in the, to loaded zones. But, but help me with this, because Brady is a smart guy. Great guy. And he also yeah, yeah. gets rid of the ball really fast. He does. So why doesn't that work against him? Uh, well, it does sometimes. Yeah, it does. And it works against a lot of guys. The, the difference between Brady is if you go to a three-man rush or, you know, all of a sudden – uh, you overload a, a little bit and give him the, uh, you know, an illusion of pressure. He's better and more patient. Now all of a sudden he sees it. Hey, I'm going to have more time to throw the football. Where Ryan Fitzpatrick will just throw it regardless. Interesting. Okay, so what you're saying is, as smart as a guy like Fitzpatrick is, just basic right. intelligence. He went to Harvard. We understand all of that. That there's a next level football smart that someone like Brady is. Absolutely. And and uh, him and Peyton Manning, those those are the two. The rest of them, you know, there's guys I've played. Yeah, he's really smart. Yeah, I got you and all that. Hey, listen, buddy, I, I know you got me one time. But at the end of the day, I probably beat your ass four or five times. <laughs> so that's kind of how, how it really is. And when you look at it, it's, uh, um, you know, those are such exceptional guys, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, and then draw a line. So let's talk specifically about Peyton. What is it that made him that? Just his preparation was out of this world. 
And then I hear that. So I remember I I did a show with Mike Golick for 18 years. Right. And he would always get frustrated when people would talk about how, well, this guy's preparation is greater. No one works harder than this guy. He would always say, we all work hard. We're all out there working hard. Are you telling me that in your view, Peyton Manning legitimately worked harder, prepared harder or better or smarter than other than practically any other player? Look, if if I mean, absolutely, Greeny, I'm saying it 100 percent because his commitment to the game. And, and all that was second to none. So I'm saying, is he preparing 20 hours out of the 24-hour day? Probably. Like, it's crazy when you get to that level. He doesn't expect you to have that same kind of commitment, although he expects you to to be committed and all that, to do your job, but then go a little extra. Peyton Manning would, in, in time, you know, would, would go way beyond that, way beyond that. You know, we're, we're playing and we get beat uh, in Baltimore. One of the greatest defenses in the history nobody talks about is our 2006 Raven defense. Led the league in more categories than any defense in the history. Okay, you can look it up. But here's the deal. We gave up five field goals to Peyton Manning. Okay, Mm -hmm. We also turned it over four or five times that game. But we had the best team. We were going to win the Super Bowl that year. And it was just, you know, it hasn't gone well for him. It may be a 30 quarterback rating or something like that. It hadn't gone well. But at the end of the day, they needed to play the most. It came down to a third down. If we were going to finally get the ball back, we're going to win the game. And I'm sitting back over there and, and, and we play like a, a two man coverage. It's impossible to make the throw that he makes, yet he prepared himself so well that if, if literally you had the size of a basketball goal and laid it out there, the ball would have gone through there. The only spot he can fit it in, he fit it in. Why he was prepared to do it. And it's just, he was on time. Remember, that team did very little motion, all that kind of stuff. They lined up and they just played. But over and over, I can't, how many times Marvin Harrison? He's got him in the same spot all the time and it's going boom, boom, boom. He knows where he is. Can play the game probably with it, with his eyes closed. That was how good Peyton Manning was in his preparation. So, that's a level of dedication that you're saying that yep. just other people just don't no, have? No, they, they can think they are, but they don't have that. It's not natural. It's really not. When he became available, and I know he had a neck injury, we had a good football team. And, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, this is we're okay. We can compete with anybody and all that. But I never wanted to compete. I wanted to win. And I remember sitting back having a conversation. Mike Tannenbaum was GM, Woody Johnson. I'm like, I don't care what it takes. Let's get Peyton Manning. Why? Because we will be in the playoffs every single year. Mm-hmm. Look at some of these brilliant coaches. Brilliant coaches, right? So you got Aaron Rodgers. Guess what? You're going to be in the playoffs every year. How'd they look last year when he went out? What did they win? Two, three games? Yeah. Like, how that makes a difference. Tom Brady, I, I don't know. Shoot, we shut out the Patriots when he wasn't the quarterback. You know, that yeah. would have been fun. Hell, <laughs> you know, let, let's, let's line up that way. Give me Tom Brady and see how many, how many championships I had. But, That'll make you, when you get a special cat like that, a Tom Brady, a Peyton Manning, an Aaron Rodgers, man, it's life's good. And so that was it. I wanted Peyton Manning on my team. So that brings us to the Brady-Belichick discussion. So one of the things that I remember you saying, you didn't come to New York to kiss Belichick's wings. Absolutely. But it always felt to me like you and he have a, had and have a very good relationship. That that was my external perception, is that you guys are, are friends and that you like each other. Do I have that right? You look like friends to me from a distance. I yeah, would see I, you guys hanging out at the scouting combine and stuff like that. Do I have that wrong? No. I mean, I think there's 
obviously a great deal of respect I have for for Belichick. I know he's the best coach in the history of the game. There's no question about it. Um, you know, friends probably not, but I respect the hell out of him. Whether he respected me or not, probably in in a little bit. I th- I think he did. Some of his actions will tell you that he kind of respected me. So um, I think that's it. Um, you know, are we are, are are we cordial? Can we talk and in and almost do like real talk about certain things? Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that's always been my perception. Yeah. It's not really important yeah. either way, but it leads me to the question. I'm fascinated by Belichick Brady. Like th- that is the most successful combination in the history of sports. I mean, you got it. You got it. You, you're having the conversation about Red Auerbach and Bill Russell, and and you yeah. know Popovich and Duncan, and and some of the other great. That, that's that's where they are. They're 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 compared basically to the immortals. Um, do you think that they're the longevity? Can you break it down to it has been more Belichick or more Brady? Is there an answer to that? Mm, man, I, I I mean. Look, you're talking about the greatest quarterback in the history of the game. You're talking about the greatest coach in the history of the game. So, but, but more importantly, like they're better than just the individuals. Like, you know, uh, you know, their sum is greater than, than their parts. Yes. They are so good together and it's just, it's just unreal. And Greeny, I would argue like with, with the Arbach and Bill Russell, well, you also had Havlicek. Mm-hmm. You also had Kuzi. You also had all these type of guys, right? So to me, there's no comparison. This is a football thing. Look, there's been nobody out there. Like I've watched, I go, who, who the hell is this guy? Julian Edelman was a quarterback in, in high, you know, in, in college. You know, but what happened? He got better and better and all this kind of stuff. Wes Welker, nobody cared about Wes Welker. Oh, by the way, he became a household name. Greatest slot receiver around, you know. So, uh, Gronkowski, you know, all these type of things. Great. He plays or he doesn't play. It doesn't matter. Like, they, they do such a great job. And another guy that I would throw in there that, that everybody hates, you know, Josh McDaniels, by the way, he's a pretty damn good coach. Yeah. And you know what? But so their marriage collectively, those guys together, it's, it's just been an unbelievable run. And, and I certainly want to kiss their rings because I would try to kick their butts. 100%. I'd be like, no, man, you know what? You're better than me, you know, overall. Let's see if you're better than me today. And that's kind of the take that I, I, I would have on it. And, and by no means would – I went into every single game against Belichick and anybody else I ever coached against thinking I'd win. I, the, the, the best win the New York Jets franchise has had, candidly, since Super Bowl three. Right. Was when you went in there and beat them in Foxborough to advance to the AFC Championship game your second year. You beat them, if I remember correctly, 28-21. Right. You scored a late touchdown to make it 28-14, and then they you had to sort of hold on for an onside kick at the end and all of this. But you did go in there and beat them in Foxborough. That, was that the greatest win of your career? Yeah, I think so. Uh, when you look at, there, there's, I, I had some good wins, but I, I would say, you know, that that was, if you just look at it, the one game, yeah, that was huge. There's no question. And, and, and Greeny, the fact they previously we had played on a Monday night and got beat 45 to three by mm-hmm. that team. 45 to three. I was there. You know, we're nine and two. Both teams are nine and two. And all of a sudden, oh, we get smoked like sausage that game. And then coming back, that was when I buried the football and all that kind of jazz. But I told my team that day, I said, you know what? We're going to play them in six weeks. And I knew we'd play them again. And I said, and the difference is we're going to beat them. But that's okay. We'll address it at a different time. We got to get better. 
And by the time we went around, see, everybody remembered 45-3. to What people forgot is we had already beat them week two. So everybody just wanted to dismiss that game. All they wanted to focus on was the 45-3. to I knew we were a hell of a lot closer than that. Um, but that, that was, you know, that was, that was part of the deal. And we wanted to play them. Like we never feared them. Trust me. We wanted to play them. And the only thing that goes back is we beat them way, way better than that score indicated. But that was when the Sean Green decides he's yes. going to score a touchdown. You know, I challenge Anthony Lynn and all that stuff. I go, Hey, Lynn, can we ever pop one of these things? Like really? Or are we just going to have to, you know, keep saving your ass on defense? And he goes, we're going to score right now. And we did. It was like, I'll go jogging down the sideline. Then I realized where the hell I was. Oh, yeah. But, I remember looking up and saying, why is Rex in the end zone? He, yeah, that was my, that was my thought also. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One more thing on this. And then I want to do is a couple of, of, um, of individual pieces. But Damian Woody is another regular guest on right. our show. And he was an offensive lineman on your best Jets teams. And he told me a great story. So I need to verify the truth quotient of mm-hmm. this story. So you're playing San Diego in the playoffs. Right. On the road. And you have a fourth and one late in the game. You can kick a field goal that was going to give you, if memory serves, a four point lead or a five point lead. It would have, you would have given you more than a field goal, but less than a touchdown lead. Phillip Rivers could have come down the field and beaten you. Or you can go for it on fourth and one in plus territory and try and end the game. And he told me that you told Damian Woody and Brandon Moore, who were the right side of the offensive line, said, I want you to walk up to the defense. I want you to tell them we are running the ball right here. Point to the spot where you are running the ball and then run behind you guys and we're going to get the first down and we're going to win the game. And that's exactly what you did. They told them we're running the ball right here. They ran it behind. You ran it behind those two guys. You got the first down and you won the game. Is that a true story? It's a true story, but there's more to it. The night before the game, I talked about how the difference between us and the Chargers were they were soft and 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 you know What's going to happen? They live in San Diego. After the game, they're going to go back to the beach and hang out in San Diego. Where are we going? We don't even have a stadium. We got a stadium with somebody else's name on it. We were playing in Giant Stadium yeah. back then, right? Like, what the hell? Like, you know, to me, we're way tougher than they are. And so we're going to go in there, and we're going to take their lunch money from them. I said, but how we're going to do it? It's going to come down to a fourth down play, and we're going to have a fourth and one. And I'm going to sit back and, hey, we're going to run our power play. That's what we do. That's our bread and butter. We're going to run it right behind D. Wood. We're going to run it right behind Brandon Moore. And and we're going to win the game that way. And I'll be darned if it doesn't come down to that situation. Now, Greeny, there's only like a minute and 30 left and change or whatever. They haven't really drove in the – I mean, what, they scored one touchdown in that game against yeah. us? So the call was to kick the field goal, but no way. The night before, I told our whole football team what we were going to do. And so now I call him over. Thomas Jones hadn't played the whole game. I look, I said, hey, our best against their best. Go get the, all right, get in there, son, let's go. And I put Thomas Jones in the game. And the funny thing is right there, I forgot that, we're, you know, I had told them that, hey, look, guys, we're going to point. I want you to point to him. Say, we're running right here. Well, I forget that I told him that. Here comes Brandon Moore and Damian Woody, and they're pointing. We're running right here. I'm like, Oh God! <laughs> like, oh no! Bam! Here we go. We hit it for like four uh, four yard gain. It was unbelievable, and but that was a huge win. And, and you know, when when you ask me a, a question about maybe my biggest win, maybe my biggest win was week 
two of my first year because I think that gave us tons of credibility when we when you we beat New the England. Patriots yeah. and we beat the hell out of them. We went zero blitz like ten straight plays to end the game. And I told our team the night before, I said, "We ain't here to, to play them close. We're here to beat them, and we're going to set a tone right now." That, hey, guess what? We ain't the same old Jets. And that week was so important to me. Remember I, I, I sent a little message out to the fans? Yes, I do. Okay. And um, I've never heard a stadium louder in my life than that day. And in all the years I've coached and all that, since, prior, whatever, no no stadium has ever been that loud. The, the It literally was rocking. And I fed off our crowd. To where it's like, oh no, we're zero blitzing again, because I the whole thing was shaking. It's like, oh my god, like no, hey, you know what, Brady, we're coming, to, we're coming to knock your butt off, and that was it. But I fed off it, and I think it gave the the fact that hey, I'm here, and I'm not, we're not the same old Jets, that we're here to take your lunch money, and and be the most physical football team on the field. That that's what we did. All right, so let me just ask you as we, as we wrap this, I could do this forever. But as as I have to let you go because you have to catch a flight, let me just bounce a few names off you mm-hmm. and just give me whatever thoughts come into your mind. It doesn't have to be one word. Just whatever thought comes into your mind when I say these names. Let's start with your father, Buddy Ryan. What 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 role? What impact does he have on your life and your career to this day? Oh, huge! Uh, I mean, obviously, as as many as many sons do, they'll follow in their father's footsteps. Well, the the family business is football. And I just followed in my dad. It was natural to me. I don't, I don't think I knew any different. He was just my dad. You know, he was one of the only guys who would show up to all the baseball games. And by the way, our baseball team wasn't one that you'd really want to go watch, mm-hmm. but he'd be there every time. He was just a loving dad. And when you look at the football coach, phenomenal, like 20, you know, 30 years ahead of his time. And he, he literally, if you're going to take an assistant coach, and put him in the Hall of Fame. The first guy you put in is Buddy Ryan. He was on the staff of the Super Bowl three Jets. Right. Obviously created the forty six defense, which is the most famous defense ever. We talked about the eighty five Bears, um, and and then on from there, and and engendered sort of an affection and a love from his players and fans that I think is is unmatched. I, I, my, Mike and I did our show in Philadelphia a million times, right? And the fans there would compare Andy Reid to Buddy. All the time. Right. And I would keep saying, you do realize Andy Reid took you to the yeah. Super Bowl. <laughs> exactly. you know, And yet he wasn't Buddy Ryan. And there no. was just something in that town that it, 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 they just loved your father. Greeny, one of the funniest things ever. My dad did a live radio show. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so he'd start it every time. He'd take his little thing of scotch, you know, about a fifth of scotch <laughs> or whatever in there with him. Yeah. And start drinking and start off a little mellow. By the end of that show, dude, the, the scotch was gone. And I mean, he never cared. And I think it was like the number one, you know, just talk show in the country, not just in Philadelphia. No, in the country. So it was just must, you know, but the thing about him is he's so genuine and the fan base related to him so much because why? No, he was, you know, he, he, he was going to tell you the truth. And at least what he believed to be the truth, and he never cared what the consequences. It, it was one of these, you know, ready fire aims. And trust me, I've I've done that a few times myself. But that was who he was, and and that was the genuine Buddy Ryan. Let's not forget now he was a master sergeant in the Korean War at 18 years old. So he was leading men 
in a battle for their lives. There's not a phony bone in my my father's uh, body. And and you know what? To me, I think that's what I've inherited, and I think the same thing with my twin brother. That's great. Um, You touched on him already, but Ray Lewis, what what would you say it was that made him as good as he was? Passion. The first thing I think of is passion. And the thing about Ray was – it was never about him. It was always about us. And that was what he brought to the to you know to that team. He was the Baltimore Ravens. You might recall Greeny, he was available as a free agent. But I knew the impact he had on that community and on that football team. I couldn't bring him here because no, he he needed to stay a Baltimore Raven forever. And that's because that's who you associate that team with. We were going to do our own thing with the Jets, but I was just so fortunate to be around him. I was there around him for 10 years. And so my thing of greatness, when people say, oh, this guy's a great player and all that, no, no, no. This guy, you know, greatness to me makes others around him better. That's what this guy was. He was a leader more than anything else. You know, we all know, in, in my opinion, no better middle linebacker in the history of the game than Ray Lewis. And, and I know the old school crowd will say Dick Buckus. I really never saw Dick Buckus play. But what I did see is how Ray Lewis took a locker room and just, you know, even when he was done his last year playing, he almost willed that team to a Super Bowl championship. And and it just, there are very few people like this. I was so fortunate to be around him. And, and then, Revis, if you were to, if I were to ask you, who was the greatest defensive player you ever coached? Is it Ray? Is, is oh, Revis gosh. close? Oh, he's definitely close. And you know I, I've been I've been so blessed to be around so many great players, Hall of Fame players, and all that. But Revis had as big an impact as you can make on a team. The time that I had him when he was healthy, we saw what what happened to our team when when he went down in like week three or whatever it was. We couldn't recover from it, and it's like a corner. But here's the thing: you lose games fastest at quarterback and cornerback. And when we, when we lost him, we we couldn't overcome it. And then a final question, and one that I know reverberates with you to your core as a football person. The way the game is played today, mm-hmm. the way the game is officiated today, the way that the game has gone to a um, – between fantasy and all of this stuff that the league wants offense. They want it to be like pinball machine numbers. Can you win a championship on defense anymore? Absolutely. I, I would say 100 percent you can. I, I think – all those things are positives, Greeny. Fantasy football is great. It brings a, a, a larger audience to the greatest game there is. And, and the new rules to protect our players. I don't have any qualms about that. What I have a trouble with right now is seeing how people are not like, it's okay to prepare for, like on offense. These guys are really preparing and wow, look at this and this. Where's that same preparation on defense? And sometimes people, I, I was with a team last year that, or my la, last time with Buffalo, they wanted you, hey, let's just rush forward and do all this stuff. Dude, that ain't how the game's played. Like you may think it is, but there's times when you're going to have to do something different against a certain opponent. But I don't see the same type of preparation from, you know, on uh, the commitment that you see offensively as they do to the defense. Where's the old school guys? Like where's this new school of, of coordinators to replace a Dick LeBeau, to replace a, a Dom Capers. I know you ain't replacing me, and and that's a, and that's that's the facts. So 
I don't see those type of coaches anymore on the defensive side. There's some good ones, but I don't see um, those kind of super like difference makers on the other side of the ball. Anymore. It may be because you know, there's no a recognition. Yeah, Bel- people forget that Belichick was a defensive coach. He's known for winning because he has a great quarterback, but he was a defensive coach. It may be because it has become evident to young football coaches that the ticket to being a head coach someday now is offense. Put together a dynamic offense. That's what teams are looking for. If you want to become a head coach someday, going up the defensive side of the ball may not be the way to do it. That Brady, may be right. As much as I want to disown my son, <laughs> you know, he's yeah. now he's, he's an assistant receiver coach, quality control coach for the L.A. Chargers. Okay? Yeah. He, so – He's an offensive coach. What the hell? My dad's probably rolling over in his grave now knowing that my son is that. But you know what? In 10 years, let's see where he is. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, like I say, my dad, all he wanted my brother and I to do is be a little bit better than him. All I want is my son to be a little bit better than me. But I think he's going to get a lot more opportunities being an offensive guy than he would be a defensive. That is the reality. Listen, Rex Ryan, this is such a delight. I mean, I've so enjoyed, you know, again, I've always said, the first thing I always have to do to anyone who was ever the head coach of the Jets is apologize for all the stuff I yelled at the television <laughs> all the years. I did it with Herman. I did it with yep. Mangini. All of you wind up coming to ESPN. There you go. Um, but it is such a delight for me to have you every week and, and to sit down and do this. And, and, and I, I very much appreciate it. This was wonderful. Thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure, Greeny. And so that is our conversation for this week with Rex Ryan. And if you have a moment at any point today or this week, um, I would ask you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It will only take a moment of your time and it would help us out a lot. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'm interested with Mike Greenberg. I will talk to you next week. Thanks so much for the time. Have a terrific week.